United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky. Great to be with you, and I've got a big-time show for you that hopefully will bring a smile during these unprecedented times. Certainly during my time as the press officer for the U.S. World Cup team, Alexi Lalas brought me and a lot of soccer fans a ton of smiles. He continues to do that in his role with Fox. Alexi Lalas will kick us off. We know there's been a lot of shuffling in the youth game with the demise of the DA through U.S. soccer. Nuno Patera has been involved in the youth game for quite some time after spending time on college and pro coaching staffs. He's found his niche 15 years now, and he's the boys' executive director for the Gwinnett Soccer Academy, GSA, just outside of Atlanta. Great to catch up with Nuno. And we wrap up with Donna Fischer, a leadership coach and team architect, often referred to as the coach's coach. She will be part of a panel next Thursday, a webinar brought to you by United Soccer Coaches. Donna Fischer will tell you all about that. That's our show, and we'll get to it after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash NSCAA1. I am Dean Linke, and as you just heard before the message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap, we got a big show. We are going to get unleashed with the great Alexi Lalas. Then we'll talk to Nuno Patero, who has done an amazing job with the Gwinnett Soccer Academy down in Atlanta, producing all kinds of players. Four times he's had his boys team in the national championship game. He calls them the Buffalo Bills of youth soccer, but great work with the women as well. And now he's trying to be like Alexi Lawless and be a big-time celebrity and run his own podcast. But nobody is big-time as Alexi Lawless. In fact, I referenced Alexi in my visit with Nuno, and that was part of the reason why I wanted to have Alexi on this week. Alexi, you're now at a point where all I got to do is say your name, which is pretty cool, but multiple World Cups, the Olympics, the Mac Herman Trophy, played two sports, big-time Fox personality, formerly ESPN. You've kind of done it all, my friend. Congratulations on all your success. Well, thank you, Dean. That's a, that's a hell of an introduction. I like to think i got a whole lot more in me. Uh, I hope that uh, you and yours, uh, both your immediate family and obviously everyone that's listening, is they're all staying safe and sane in these interesting times. This too shall pass, and uh, we're all muddling through this together. So this is nothing like I've ever been through, nothing like you've ever been through. I know you got kids. I keep telling my kids they're going to have one hell of a story to tell once this is all over. Uh, and uh, and I, I can't give them any any advice or information because I've never been through this uh, at all. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get there together. All right. Well, we're going to get through this together, too. Is I'm, I'm calling it Alexi Unleashed because... I want to hit multiple topics because you always have a solid opinion and very articulate, and then you're also, while being pragmatic, you're not afraid to stir it up a little bit. I want to start with this notion of how people deal with adversity because, to be fair, Lexi Lawless, I've known you for a long time. You came from Birmingham, which isn't too shabby, by the way. You've got incredibly intelligent parents. In that sense, 
I'm not sure how much adversity you've seen, but as you've seen it affect other people, how does it move you? What is your take? I mean, look, relative to the majority of people in the world and the vast majority of people in the world, I've had a wonderfully uh, fortunate and privileged type of existence in life. And, you know, whether it's being, uh, being able to, uh, you know, go to good schools, uh, whether it's having a mom and dad, whether it's been able to grow up in what I feel is the greatest country in the world, and like you mentioned, a very wonderful and uh, an affluent type of uh, uh, of situation, uh, just from a, uh, a life standpoint, but also from a, from a soccer standpoint and a sports perspective, being given those opportunities. So, yeah, I, I recognize that, uh, you know, I was very, very fortunate in the things that I was given. Didn't mean that there weren't challenges along the way, but certainly relative to a lot of people out there, they, they pale in comparison. But, you know, we all, we all have our own different paths. And, uh, you know, at times when it got tough, I also like to think that I did have some perspective and, and an appreciation and an understanding for what, uh, for, you know, for the things that I had been given, um, and made sure that I never wasted those or took those for granted in the uh, in the challenges that I had and the opportunities that I was given. So here we go as we're dealing with this. You're stealing a ton of webinars. You're on a million of them, a ton of podcasts. And part of it is that reflection and appreciation, but part of it is dealing with the here and now and how we come out of this. And make no mistake, U.S. soccer has and will be affected. They already are as the DA mm-hmm. is now out of their hands. So let's start with that. They've thrown in the towel on the DA part of their operation. Good move, Alexi. What's your take? I mean, look, I think that you and, and, and many of uh, your colleagues and probably a lot of your listeners are probably even more uh, versed and educated when it comes to this. Uh, I have children that play youth soccer, but they play uh, AYSO. They're not in any type of elite uh, program. I, I understand what DA was set up to do, and I think in a lot of ways you can look at it as a net positive and a overall success. But as you know, um, it rubbed people along the wrong way. It came in and it, you know, it, it discombobulated a lot of stuff. And, and some of that was by design to do something different, to do something big. Uh, and in doing so, inherent in doing something like that is that you're going to ruffle some feathers along the way. And so whether it was making kids choose between playing high school and playing the academy, whether it was coming into territories that traditionally are uh, owned, if you will, by very high-profile clubs, whether it was the difference between being an MLS-affiliated DA situation as opposed to just a straight club. All of these different dynamics and relationships were kind of thrown out of whack. I think they came back at a certain time, uh, but I also think that the uh, United States Soccer Federation was trying to, once again, be everything to everybody and spread themselves too thin, and I think what they said is, we're going to get out of the development academy for everybody, not just, I mean, for national teams, that's, that's all fine and well for the actual national teams and youth national teams they have. But they said, we're going to get out of the youth development uh, business where we try to be everything to everybody and blanket everybody. And we're going to let the clubs do that, whether it's the actual professional clubs or uh, youth clubs that are existent. And I do know, and you know this, uh, Dean, that where there is a void in soccer, there are soccer people that are going to fill it. And so if you're an elite player, I know it's a little bit strange right now, both men and women, but if you're an elite player, you will be able to have opportunities. You will find some things. And maybe in a certain way, they're going to learn from the things that didn't go well and some of the problems that they have and kind of tweak it to give all of the elite players out there that were in the Development Academy something even better. 
unleashed with Alexi Lalas. One of the reasons that uh, people speculated they dropped it is they saw this big booming lawsuit coming for equal pay from women. Then they saw some poor language, and so out goes President Cordero. And i got to remind everybody that I've been pimping Alexi Lalas to be president of U.S. soccer for a long time. Alexi, you know this, uh, in step Cindy Parlo-Cone. Now the news comes down where at the moment, it doesn't look like the women are going to get all that money they thought they were going to get. In fact, I think it was so certain all of us thought for sure that $60 million was coming. I think U.S. soccer thought the same thing. Your take on what the judge just ruled. Yeah, so it's been a really interesting week. Uh, they had the Friday night news dump, and like you said, I think it surprised a lot of people, not everyone, uh, because we all know that Winning in the court of public opinion is very different than winning in a court of law. And you may feel, because of the reaction that you have, and certainly when it comes to the women, the overwhelmingly positive and supportive type of reaction that the general public has had, and a lot of that is based on just kind of surface-level understanding of all of the complexities and the nuances when it, come, when it comes to this. And if you're just dealing with sound bites, uh, you know, the, the U.S. women, both individually and collectively, have done a wonderful job of harnessing that uh, that leverage and the power that they have. But the fact is that after this ruling, the, this summary judgment that came out, they have a lot less leverage and power than they had whatever it was 72 hours hours ago uh, before this uh, summary judgment. You know, having said that, uh, they're still going to get paid. Uh, this has always been about money. Uh, and I'm not trying to be cynical or anything, but this is what it comes down to. Uh, this is solved with money, and I think the United States Women's National Team are going to get a new deal. It's going to be a much better deal, and from a U.S. Uh, soccer perspective, it's probably more than had they dealt with this a whole long time ago as opposed to going through the court system. And I, I recognize precedent, and I recognize that you have to do what you need to do if you believe that you are in the right. But there's also some, you know, you mentioned pragmatism. There's also a reality, and all of that money that was that was spent and continue to be spent on multiple lawsuits in the uh, in the legal system. I have to ask, was it all worth it from both sides, from everybody involved? All of the money and all the time, was it worth it? And look, if you're the women, you believe in this. I have I have complete respect that you are going to fight for something you believe in, whether I like it or not, whether I agree or not. If you believe that you have been wronged then you fight for it. And what happened was the United States uh, Women's National Team, they signed a contract that they didn't like, and more, more so, they didn't think was fair, they thought was unlawful. They took it to the courts, the courts disagreed, and now we're back in a situation where it has to get a deal, a deal is going to get done, and they're going to be paid more money. Lexi Lalas unleashed the great number 22, illustrious career, now big-time media personality. One of the keys, I think, for the women is going to be the continued strength of NWSL due to enter its eighth season. Remember, Alexi, the two other leagues only lasted three years. Now, season number eight, after the last World Cup, attendance better than ever. Man, this COVID thing really stinks when you think about all of the progress that league has made. Another big reason that uh, I hope we can get back out there, right, to see NWSL action. Yeah, I mean, look, you and I both love the game, and we are speaking to, you know, and, and preaching to the choir here when it comes to soccer. We all have different ideas about it, but it's a passion, it's a love that we have. But we all recognize that you know, soccer in the professional form is uh, is entertainment. It is a like to have, but it is not a need to have. And it doesn't mean we don't take it seriously. It doesn't mean it's not our, our job. But that's, you know, that's the reality of the situation right now. Even in the best of times, uh, professional soccer in the United States in 2020 before this crisis, uh, it was fraught with risk. Now, we've, we've come a long way, and it's, it's less risk than it has been in the past. 
But when you're talking about the women's game, and you mentioned we have we are littered with past leagues that have come and gone, and have been uh, both leagues and clubs that have uh, that have folded, uh, defunct leagues. So it is not for the faint of heart. I re- I'll be really interested to see how this affects women's soccer, and obviously uh, NWSL, and. and are there additional um, uh, additional teams that marry up and uh, are part of MLS teams? We know that some they have some of them right now, but there's also sometimes a benefit from that separation. But as you mentioned, this is going to affect our game at all levels, and unfortunately, it's going to hurt more and more as you get further on down the the pyramid or that pecking order. And I'm not talking about a pecking order in terms of importance. I'm just talking about a pecking order in terms of sustainability and viability when it gets down to teams that are so uh, reliant on the, the best of times, that are so reliant on having crowds, uh, having attendance, having marketing, having parking, concessions, all of those different things. And that applies, by the way, to MLS. But as you get further and further down, whether it's men's or women's in these different divisions and these leagues, it is a really precarious position to be in, and this certainly doesn't help the situation. So with MLS, it was pretty interesting. Somebody on the podcast a couple weeks ago said that their checklist for sporting events they got to see, they're like, yeah, I definitely want to see the Masters, want to go to the Super Bowl. And they said in my top five is going to a game at Mercedes-Benz Arena to see the Atlanta team play. Now, as you think about MLS returning, yes, they do have a nice TV deal, but these clubs rely now, and it's hard to believe. You talk about risk-reward, it's less risk now. I mean, they rely on these massive crowds to, to pay the bills and continue to grow. The notion of playing in front of no one may not work for MLS. Yeah, I mean, I almost, the only thing that they could possibly point to is that because we are captive now and because people are desperate to see the game, there might be an uptick and a dramatic uptick if and when teams start playing. Now, we're all looking towards the Bundesliga right now in the next couple of weeks as kind of this you know, canary in a coal mine type of situation to possibly give us a roadmap or a template. Fingers crossed that that, that, that goes well, if it even goes at all. But when it comes to MLS, I mean, you rightfully point out the actual business of Major League Soccer is not tied directly to that TV contract yet. That's something that you want to do, but certainly relative to other leagues where the massive amount of money that they have, it, I mean, it, it puts that much more pressure for them to deliver when it comes to the TV package. Now, when you're talking about MLS and whether it's Atlanta with their 70000 or whether it's Minnesota with their 21000 you budget at the beginning of the year for that, you know, let's say your, your home games, if it's a 20-game package or whatever it ends up being, and when you aren't able to do that with all of the things that we mentioned with concessions and parking and ticketing and marketing and all that kind of stuff, when that goes out the window, it completely blows that budget out. So, uh, so you're, you're, you're absolutely right that I, I'm really going to be interested to see how, what the trickle-down effect is because there's going to be pain this year, but even if we get back to quote-unquote normal where we are playing and not just playing in front of empty stadiums but playing in front of people, that pain is going to have to be, I guess, amortized throughout the next few years in order just to get back to where we were. And so I think there's still a lot of things that are going to happen, and as I said, a lot of pain that is going to be felt just to try to get back to some semblance of normal and back to where we were. Unleashed with Alexi Lawless means I can ask him about anything that 
biggest trending item right now is Last Dance on ESPN, the look at Michael Jordan. I grew up outside of Toledo. You grew up outside of Birmingham. I'm just a little older than you, but not much older, Alexi. I remember the bad boys, and I remember Michael Jordan rolling in. I was not an elite athlete like you. When you watch this back and see this focus of this driven man, what does it mean to you? Okay, so here's the thing, Dean, a couple of things. Number one, I'm just going to talk about the bad boys because uh, if you are a Detroit Pistons fan of that era, <laughs> then you don't look at the Celtics, you don't look at the Lakers, and you don't look at the, at the Chicago, uh, what's their name? Uh, the Bulls, right? You don't look at the Bulls as, any, as anything but your, your enemy. And I will always come down on the side of uh, the Detroit Pistons. And I know they're not everybody's cup of tea. I know they, they, they were bad boys in the way that they behaved. But I, I love them. And, you know, it's like Jose Nostra. It's our, it's our thing. It's our guys. Now, I will say this. I have not watched the documentary, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I, I, you know, this, I, this is not a hot take. This is just how I feel. I want to be able to bin something from start to finish. I don't want to be beholden to any company or beholden to the man, if you will, by having to come back week after week after week. So I know it's a 10-part series, and I know we're into the third or fourth week, so I will wait until I'm able to start from from start to finish. And by the way, that applies to all television out there. So when, when people are screaming and yelling about Ozark or, uh, or, or something else that they're watching, I say, oh, it's all fine and well, but unless it's done, I don't want to watch it. And by the way, I don't want to watch it unless the entire series is done. And that means that there's no more another season coming next year. If you had another season coming next year and it's just a continuation of the story, then I'm not going to watch it either. I want it all completely done. That's how I watched Breaking Bad. That's how I watched Game of Thrones. And that's how I will watch the 10-part documentary uh, of Michael Jordan, as great as he is and, uh, and, and as positive as the reviews have been. Yeah, it's been incredible. And part of the thing is, you know, he's always had this – image that he protected and in this series he's kind of letting go a little bit and not afraid to you know swear and, and and in one case as it relates back to you not afraid to say that he has the utmost animosity toward Isaiah Thomas like flat out says that he hates him and I was a little bit shocked by that because it's something that he looks straight in the camera at 52 years old or however how old he is and says, yeah, I hate the dude. What do you think about that? I mean, I guess I guess when you've made as much money as him and successful as him, you can say whatever you want at, at some point, right? Yeah, and, and, and at a certain point, you also have to ask, well, what are you really fighting against? I mean, what are, what are we doing here? Okay, I mean, and this gets back to perspective. And, you know, maybe that's what, maybe a lack of perspective at times is what enables the best to be the best because they can't fathom anything else, they can't put anything else higher on the echelon than something than, than what they do and what they love and what they have a passion for. And when it comes to Jordan, we know about his legendary competitive streak, and that's probably what has made him great, along with God-given talent and the ability to work and all of those, all of those different things. But I also get the feeling that for him, it's very hard to look at other things and to put them on that same that same level. And so that's probably why he holds on to that. I'm not a doctor uh and I got you know I'm not going to uh try to get in there in that brain or anything like that, but you know I think back I don't hold any animosity towards people or things. I've made plenty of mistakes along the way. Uh I'm sure there's plenty of people that that don't particular particularly like me. I, I can't I can't look at people and say, oh, I hate this guy or I hate this guy. I, 
I had a really good time, and maybe that just is maybe that comes with, uh, from uh, with some perspective, or and who knows? Maybe if I'd had that, I guess it's killer instinct. I don't know if you know what's a killer instinct. I think you'd still have a killer instinct in that perspective, but maybe it's just not having that type of personality or attitude. Uh, maybe it hurt me in the long run, but who knows? I did I did all right anyway. Yeah, I don't think it did hurt you, and I want to end with this. I told you that I'm calling this Unleashed with Alexi Lawless, and, look, you're always available. You've always been great to me. We were together in 92 and then 94 and at times at MLS, and you've always been uh, great with me, and even now on United Soccer Coaches Podcast Row, you always come by. But one of the things that uh, Nuno Patero asked me on his podcast, he's like, when you look back, what is one of your best memories? And my best memory, and I said it instantly, was – the fact that you and Kobe and a couple others knew before you were supposed to know that you were going to seize the moment. And whether it's uh, growing the goatee a little bit longer, the hair, or doing the music thing, Alexi, you knew what you were doing, and I admired that. And I felt like I had a front row seat, and I just kind of soaked it in. And now to see where it's brought you, it brings me nothing but joy. But... Talk about knowing what you knew, uh, for lack of a better way to say it. In fact, I think that's a good way to say it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I have always looked at myself as a performer and and as an entertainer. And sometimes when you say that, people cringe because they seem to think that you can't be genuine and authentic uh, and real uh, in in terms of what you are doing and saying. Uh, I recognize that I rehearsed. I went on stage. I wore a costume, I went in front of people, and I elicited a reaction. And I was playing a role and a personality. But that doesn't mean that that role and personality wasn't based in who I am. It just at times was exaggerated. And I knew that your aesthetic, optics, all of those different things are are important because that's how I viewed sports. And I looked at it also through a prism of uh, as I said, entertainment and specifically music, and I patterned a lot of it on musicians and bands and the way that bands marketed and branded themselves. And we didn't talk about brands back then, but that's basically what we were doing, whether it was myself or Kobe. And everybody had a different different style and a different brand, and it was what you felt comfortable with. And if you did it well uh, and you were – you manufactured is a bad word, but I think – I'm not using it as a bad word. If you manufactured that – in order to appeal, if you will, then you had you had something, and you made it you made it interesting, and that's what I've always loved about sports. I go because I love the big personalities and the egos and the the beautiful arrogance out there, and the different way people look and act, and the things they say on and off the field, and you know that's that's something that I that I that I harnessed and knew about and cultivated from a from a young age. I was really lucky to be surrounded by people that recognized that, like you, that were able to help me uh, and to guide it because at times it might get out of balance. You've got to make sure that the the persona and the the color and the personality doesn't doesn't get out of balance with the actual performance on the field because without it, then you're just a clown. And so at times it got out of, out of balance, and sometimes you need people around you to say, hey, maybe you should do this, or hey, maybe that wasn't something that you should do, or think about doing this. And, and, is, and people that are willing 
to help you do what you do. And uh, you were one of those people, along with a lot of other people along the way, that respected uh, and recognized that this was good not just for the individual, but this was good for the sport. And, you know, us back then, it was about getting as many people into the tent as possible. And we did whatever we possibly could to excite them, to entertain them, and ultimately to keep them. Amen, brother. And I like that approach because if you remember, I had three pagers on and if anybody wanted Alexi or Bora or Tony, even if you didn't want to hear from me, it was my mission to get you guys out there. In fact, that's not even fair to say because all of you were ready for it. You and Tony, you guys never said no to me and, and I really did appreciate that. Before I let you go, you mentioned being lucky. One of my most vivid memories, I'm pretty sure it was against England at Foxborough Stadium. And the way I remember it was, I don't even think you started the game, but you scored a goal with your head. I think it was with your head. And what I want clarity on it, because I can wildly see it, I can wildly see your celebration. What I don't know is if you really meant to do it or if you felt like it was lucky. And fill in the blanks. Was it England? Who was it again? Yep, England. Because the goal was like England. Okay, perfect. And, yep. and tell me, who... Who delivered it to you, and did you know what you were doing on that one, Alexi? So this would have been in the middle of 93. Uh, so we were a long way off from the 94 World Cup. And as, as you know, and for your listeners, we were training full-time as a national team. We were actually in residency in Southern California. We would just travel all over the place and then play international games. And so this was a summer full of games, but a year before the World Cup. So I still didn't even know if I was going to be on the team, let alone play on the World Cup. I was not starting at the time, so I was coming in as you know, a substitute every once in a while as Bora tried to see if this was somebody that he wanted to have around for the long haul. I get in the game. Uh, Bora had already made it very, very clear that one of my jobs when I got in there from an attacking perspective was on set pieces. We were always still talking about set pieces. He knew that that was something that uh, this team, not just me, but this team was going to be good at. The great Tab Ramos went off to the corner uh, and just laid it up there, and I went up and I, I found it, and I beat the goalkeeper to the ball. It banged off my, my ear, and I went in the corner. Uh, I came down. I did, you know, a celebration, a slide in front of the England bench, and this is this is an England team that at the time was trying to qualify for the World Cup. Ultimately, they didn't. The, the, the coach got fired. It was a big old mess. It was a huge, huge win for us because it was England. Uh, it was the start of a long and, and wonderful relationship that I had with New England, uh, with that stadium and with that, with that area and those fans that always treated us uh, so well. And it was also the start of much more playing time for me, uh, for me after that. So you, you make your opportunities. And you got to grab them with both hands, and I did. I came in. I made an impact, which is what a substitute needs to do, and uh, the rest is history, as they say. Thanks for going down memory lane. As I leave you, Lexi, is there a 15-second soundbite you want to share with all of us that are hoping to get back to normal life? Listen, uh, you know, as, as I said before, uh, these are unprecedented times, and I don't have the answers. Nobody has the, the answers. I, 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 the one thing I do know is nobody knows anything, but we're, you know, we're trying to use our abilities and our knowledge that we do have to give us the best chance of coming out of this as quickly as possible. But no matter what, it's going to be different, and that's not necessarily a, uh, a bad thing. But the good part about this team, if, if there is a good part, is that for the first time maybe that I can remember in, in my life, um, the entire world is collectively um, together in fighting a common enemy, okay? We have different ideas about how to do it, but there's nobody on the side of this virus. We all want this to go away. We all want some semblance of normalcy to come back. And I believe there is power in that, that as a, not just a country, but as a 
as a world, as humans, we are all on this side. And I believe, I believe in humans, ultimately. If you, if you want a, a bumper sticker or a hashtag, that's it. Mm-hmm. I believe in humans, and I believe that humans will find a way out of this uh, and that we will be uh, off to a new type of normal, and hopefully that new normal continues to include the game that we all know and love. So well said, and if it's okay with you, I always want to be on your side, Alexa. I hope you'll have me on your team. Thanks so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Always, my friend, always. Alexi Lalas, up next, Nuno Pateta. By way of Portugal, through Fall River, down the Atlanta area, great success as a college coach, a pro coach, and great work as the executive director for GSA, the great youth soccer club. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all of those things. You need help, and who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches. Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. We are covering it all today, and I am pleased to be joined by a young man that I met when the McGuire Cup was played somewhere in South Carolina. His team was taking on a Brian Bliss coach Columbus crew team in the McGuire Cup live on Fox Soccer Channel. And with my wife being Portuguese and Nuno Patera being one of the legendary men from Portugal, it was great to meet him and cover his team. He's now the boys' executive director for the Gwinnett Soccer Academy just outside of Atlanta, a job he's had the last 15 years. He has played a prominent role in developing future stars, and he's right there in the middle of what Atlanta is doing in MLS. you got a front-row seat to that. He has coached in the college game. He's coached in the pro game. He's won at the pro game. He's taken his team to four, I think, four McGuire Cups, right, or, or four well, national four. championships, right? Yeah. That's correct, yeah, four different national championships, right? Incredible, yeah. So, Nuno, great to be with you. Thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, it's a privilege, Dean, and a uh, chance to reconnect with you and to talk a little bit about what we both love is uh, – it's always a great pleasure. So thank you. Yeah, well, and part of the reason that sparked it is the fact that uh, we've kind of stayed connected via Facebook, and you were kind enough to have me and Mike Watoya, who is a legendary a Soccer America celebrating their 50 years. It was it was really fun, you know, to really just kind of reflect because we're doing two things right now during this COVID thing, right? We're trying to figure it out, trying to make sure we're safe, trying to make sure that mentally and physically the young people that you coach are, are doing the right things. But we're also – reflecting on how we got here. And I really like that part of what we're doing as well, Nuno. That part was fun. No, it, it, it's it's wonderful. And I think we don't always get a chance to do that. I think part of our spirit and what makes this country so great is that uh, we get after it and we compete. But I think sometimes uh, we don't get a chance to, you know, kind of pause a little bit and reflect and just uh, be grateful for where we've been and, where we are just as much as it matters in terms of where we may be going. So uh, it's a good time to do that. Um, all of us maybe that are in a position uh, to have certain needs be met and have a chance to do that. For others, certainly we feel for them. 
and we try to be there as a community. But uh, I think you're right. I think it's an opportunity to reflect and, uh, and maybe try to look at things as we go ahead with more clarity and more togetherness, if that makes sense. Well, you were kind enough to ask me to reflect on my story. I want to hear your story, how you made it over the United States. You ended up in Fall River, which is where my wife's father grew up, and then Georgia. Tell me the whole story, including your time coaching professional and college. It's been a journey, that, that's for sure, Mike. Uh, I came over as a young lad, as a 13, 14-year-old. I was born and raised in in uh, Lisbon, Portugal, and uh, like most European countries at the time, we uh, we went through a revolution. It was a peaceful revolution, but the fact that uh, my mother was a housewife and uh, my dad, like you, uh, did a little bit of journalism, but uh, he kind of overlooked public relations at the airports in Portugal, and so that being a government job, when we kind of had our revolution, anyone that had any connection with the government, uh, there was a, a fear that my dad was going to lose his job. And so we were fortunate that my mom is from the Azores, so her side of the family had all been immigrants, and we had a connection to Fall River, Massachusetts, which is a industrial area that uh, many, many Portuguese people, more from the Azores, had immigrated to in the in the 70s and early 80s for mostly economic reasons. And so I was a part of that, uh, of that community. I was lucky enough that soccer uh, was something that, uh, you know, again, we continue to do. So I was able to kind of to be able to cultivate my passion. My experience there kind of uh, just growing up was a little bit traumatic. Uh, Fall River is not an easy place. Uh, you have to fight. Um, and I, I wasn't even that much into school, but found myself having to fight just to get to school. And so I'm grateful for those experiences now. But back then, it was uh, it was difficult coming from Portugal and, and Lisbon and being at a place there where playing and, and uh, doing what I was doing there was at a certain level where young people looked up to me and respected me. And, and so that was a little bit traumatic. So... I was lucky enough that I got recruited to play collegiately, and I ended up in the Midwest. So I played my college soccer at uh, Rockford College. I literally, I didn't know what NAIA or Division Three or Two or One was. I literally picked a place that was the furthest away from Fall River to go have a different type of experience. Uh, little did I realize that Rockford itself was <laughs> kind of a blue collar and not an easy place in terms of economics at the time, but had a, had a good experience there. Uh, I ended up not graduating. I, more, in more ways than one, was still finding myself. The language was something that, uh, at the time, I was still struggling with. And I went to college as a, as a 16-year-old, and so I was very young, very naive. And I think three years in, I ended up flunking out, uh, not something I'm proud of, but I think, again, was one of those uh, great, great life lessons. I kind of just tried to find myself for a couple of years, but was lucky enough that my college coach then uh, had made his way to South Carolina and had gotten the Coastal Carolina University program kind of uh, going. And I don't know what he saw in me, uh, but I was lucky enough. He was my angel that uh, Paul Bantha invited me to kind of come be his second, third assistant, to be the gopher, but mostly to come and get my degree and get done with school. And so I was lucky enough to uh, to do that. I spent five years at, at Coastal Carolina from 88 to 92. Uh, we had great success there building up the program, including a, a couple of great runs in the NCAA, which for us was, was amazing for a program that was – kind of up and coming. I then was lucky enough to then get a job in Charleston with the legendary Ralph Lundy. So Ralph Lundy and Paul Banth are two people that uh, 
uh, were mentors of mine, but more than anything were people that had a major influence in terms of where I am now in my life. And um, I was an assistant at the College of Charleston for, for Ralph, and we had great success there too with a great run to the final eight within inches of beating UCLA to get to the final four. And that allowed me then, as the USL was kind of growing and, and, and getting, you know, stronger, Tim Hankinson had done an amazing job kind of getting the Charleston battery going. They had come off being in the Final Four, and he had an opportunity to move on. And so I happened to be in Charleston and had the, a chance to then get on board and take over. As a 29-year-old, I got the Charleston battery job where I was there for, for five seasons. We were fortunate to have great, great success in putting a national championship uh, in 96. I had the women's team at the College of Charleston kind of uh, uh, after leaving there for on an interim basis. And I came to Atlanta in 99 uh, to coach the Atlanta Silverbacks uh, at the old A-League USL uh, 1 and realized that really <laughs> after a couple of years as the game was growing, and it's grown immensely, as you said earlier, Dean, that my real calling was, uh, I'm an old elementary education major, and my real calling was to use soccer to hopefully try to make a, a difference in young people's lives. So I think after two and a half years of the Silverbacks, I left and took over a youth club here locally that now is named uh, NASA. I ran that club for six years and then had a unique opportunity 15 years ago to make a jump to GSA. And the Gwinnett area um, is the most diverse, heaviest populated uh, county in the southeast. We have the most registered soccer players in the south, in the Gwinnett, in the county that I serve. And so there was an attraction there for me because I saw in that community a little bit of that diversity or a lot of that diversity that I can kind of connect with. And it's all the things that I think are my background. So long story short, <laughs> there's the story, Dean. <laughs> and it's a great story, and it's a story filled with success, including the multiple trips to the national championship and also being on Fox Soccer Channel for the McGuire Cup. I can't exactly remember what year that is. I got a lot of stuff logged in between uh, those two years of mine and a lot of air in there as well. But I do remember you, and then I remember the Columbus Crew team and Brian Bliss flying in late because he was coaching one of the U.S. youth teams, and it was a great game, you know, really fantastic athletes. And how cool was it that Fox Soccer Channel gave that platform for the McGuire Cup to be on national live television. It was, a, it was amazing. I mean, honestly, that's still one of the highlights, if not the highlight of, of my career. You know, we on our side uh, had a guy, Walker Zimmerman, that like uh, Will Trapp had flown in. If you remember, the previous night we're playing in some tournament with the under-20s in Ireland, you know, and uh, I think you and I talked about that very close game. I threw Walker up top late. We were down 2-1. to one. He got taken down of the box. It could have been a red card PK. It wasn't. But it was that type of game that came down to the last minute. You know, Will Trapp had the, the winning goal. And now you're talking about two guys that played for the McGuire Cup. They're now two core members of our full senior national team that both have a chance to represent our country at the World Cup. So I think when you look back at all those experiences, and like you said, man, it's not every day that you get a bunch of kids and you have a chance to play on national TV for a national championship. And, uh, you know, you said it earlier. I mean, the McGuire Cup, for me, still on the personal level, is still that national championship. I know things on the youth side and the landscape in terms of the different leagues have, have changed. 
but they're still a part of my heart in terms of that Maguire Cup and what that thing means in terms of being the oldest amateur trophy that we have in this country. It's something that I would still love to get back to and have a chance to compete for it. We're here with Nuno Patero, the boys' executive director for GSA, Gwinnett Soccer Academy, for the last 15 years. And the GSA continues to produce outstanding players that either go to the pros or play college for men and women. And, Nuno, I'll tell you what, one thing that we can also relate to is after my time at Major League Soccer with the Colorado Rapids, I moved to North Carolina where my wife's family retired. She wanted to raise both of our kids here. So I started to break in within the Carolina Railhawks. They're now called North Carolina FC. And we went through the USL, NASL. And I remember heading down to Atlanta. And just like you, it was one of those, man, are we going to get, you know, 2,000 people in the stands here to at least be able to pay some of the bills? And look how much has changed. Now you're in Atlanta, arguably one of the greatest sports stories as far as the organization relationship with their fans of any sport out there, maybe even in the world. I mean, even on Wednesday night, sometimes they're getting 70,000 to watch an MLS regular season game. It's got to be pretty awesome for you and the people that are part of your club to have that great organization so close to you. It's really unbelievable. We're very fortunate that they have, or we have an owner in Arthur Blank that you know, is committed to to the sport and doing things the right way, professionally not being apprehensive in terms of, you know, investing. But I think just as much, uh, I think this goes back to people that, you know, were part of this community 30, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, the old NASL with the Atlanta Chiefs and people like, uh, you know, Mike Bolson, people like Bruce Murray that, you know, came through town and, and we're part of our community, both as a great player uh, with Walter Arciander and the old um, Atlanta team and, and the A-League. Um, you know, these are guys that were out there selling the game and doing clinics and, you know, at a time where, you know, our sport wasn't looked upon like, like it is now. And so uh, to see now that these young people that were serving at our club are really growing up in the soccer country, and to see the passion when you walk into that stadium, I mean, literally, Dean, you know this, I mean, people stand the whole game. You, you're, you're, you're going to go there, whatever seat you're getting, you need to be prepared, unless you're in some executive box, that you're going to be standing the whole game. And so the spirit, the passion, listen, the quality of the, of the game is really something that is hard for me to grasp. Someone that's, you know, like you've been a part of the game for a while and it's seen its evolution and growth it's still incredibly difficult to grasp. And I think that's why, again, the time that we're in is, uh, in, in a way, so valuable because I think as fast and as quick as we grow and evolve, it is so incredibly important to also understand that there's a history, that there's a culture, that there was a, there were uh, seeds that were planted and people there cultivating those things to then have this type of thing happen. What happened here, what's happened in Seattle, what's happened in many other great cities of this country and the passion that we see goes back, you know, many generations to the old NASL and ASL and NASL, MISL and all these leagues and owners and people that invested and players that at one time lived like gypsies to now put ourselves in a position where who knows what the next 10 years uh, will look like, but I think, Dean, I think it's a it's an exciting time that we're heading into. That's for sure.
Well, indeed. I had someone the other day tell me that uh, I asked, hey, what are your checklist items for sporting events that you want to see? And ironically, you know, his number one on his list was another event in Georgia at a pretty nice little golf course, right? Um, <laughs> the Masters, which is definitely on my checklist. But before he got through his top five, it was attending an Atlanta game at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is saying something. I mean, you know, you never would have heard of that before. No, it's unbelievable. It, it really is. And I think, again, uh, it is. It's just that. I think people uh, here quickly realize, people that were traditional fans of baseball and basketball, and even with the Falcons, which has been really the top sport here locally. And, again, you know that, working in the college game with different sports and, and, and so on, Dean, uh, college football in this area rules. And the passion that comes with that is really at times second to none. Well, guess what? I think very quickly this new passion uh, and the pageantry that uh, the Atlanta United and that uh, and its fans have brought has now all of a sudden become something that it's it's not going away. It's not something that was going to happen for a year or two. This is something now that um, is very much part of our DNA. And uh, you're right. Who would have said that? It's uh, it's hard to grasp. I'm just fortunate that I get to witness it and have an opportunity that when I'm coaching and, and teaching our guys and, and so on that. They don't have to look far to dream, where in the past we had to tell these stories and almost sell these kids on something that we knew was out there, but in reality it was so tough for the kids to actually be able to see it. And so when it's in your backyard and they can go to a game or they can go to a clinic or, like a lot of our boys, have a chance at the youth level to make uh, the uh, Atlanta United Academy and the work that they've done there, now all of a sudden we have clarity in, in our sport and something for our kids and fans to really look to um, as a blueprint as to what this thing is supposed to be. And we, we cherish. I mean, this is, uh, you know, I'm very grateful for what we have here, that's for sure. Well, during this time of uh, this pandemic, reflection and appreciation are times that enrich us, but there are also times to try to figure out the next step and also handle matters that matter. And since you're the executive director at GSA, I had Kristen Labors on last week, the president and CEO of ECNL, which you had to figure was going to step up even bigger. And then, as he said on the broadcast, he's like, yeah, he's like, I was kind of liking where we were going. He kind of was politically correct the entire time while U.S. soccer was running it. He held on to his words the best he could. And then right away, MLS said, in fact, that they're going to step right in. And you just gave an example of that. From where you sit right now, and really, you are the one probably better served to answer the question on your podcast. What do you think should happen with the status of youth soccer? I mean, you're playing that key role, but with the demise of the DA with U.S. soccer, what direction do you want to see it go, Nuno? I think what's happening now is, is really a good thing because I think finally we're getting clarity. I think the ECNL, uh, it, it looks like it's going to be the league outside the MLS academies that – kind of is that regional and national league through its divisions that is going to be that thing uh, for outside, like I said, the MLS Academy. So to me, we're finally having clarity. You know, I mean, the DA, I think, served its purpose, but it was slightly exclusive. And at the end, um, I don't know any federation uh, globally uh, that's ever dictated player development. I think federations have a responsibility for coaching education, and for putting youth national teams together that represent your country, 
but I don't know anywhere else in the world where you go into a professional club that's investing crazy money like MLS clubs are in their player development for the hopes that these players go on to earn a professional contract. You know, my the rest of us have a different type of ambition. You know, we want to maximize our kids' potential as players. Uh, a lot of them are late bloomers and will have a chance to go on to play collegiately. And maybe from there, like we, I think, currently now have five of them that are playing in Major League Soccer and another half dozen, maybe more, that are playing overseas in different divisions, but a whole lot more that went, you know, and had the college experience and are up in the workforce or coaching or whatever. And so I think what we have now is, is clarity. You know, the MLS academies, they have a function and they serve a purpose, and ultimately that's the final piece of the pyramid on the youth side. The rest of us, I think hopefully through UCNL, and I think even the state leagues and U.S. club soccer then will have other leagues that maybe fall below that that are more regionalized so that we minimize all the travel that young kids have to do but still are able to have a great experience and then a chance to maybe get into the UCNL clubs that are out there. I know in our city, on the boys' side, there's five of them. So if you can play, you know, you're going to have a chance to play for what I think will be the top league outside the MLS. And if you're one of the top 20 players in the age group, then we have the local MLS academy if that's something that you feel that you want to be a part and chase. And so I think more than ever now, we don't have this mumbo-jumbo of different kind of leagues and an alphabet of whatever that parents and coaches every other year are having to educate themselves when in reality what I want is an opportunity to focus on what I need to focus on, which is player and person development. And so I think a lot of times when we're reacting to this league or this hype or that thing, it takes so much in terms of what matters most. And I, I know one thing as a former educator that young people, especially as they're getting into you know, the puberty ages, uh, real growth and development takes place when there's a level of stability and continuity. You know, when kids know what's there and there's a foundation and they feel secure, then they start dreaming. Then they start being creative. Then they start being imaginative. And they're free to just grow. We're not worried about this thing or that thing. And I think for me, that's when real growth takes place. So hopefully, as we go through all this, what we have is a connection. I know Atlanta United, they're committed to playing all the youth clubs. So what? We're not in the league. Who cares? Our kids are going to get pumped every time we have a chance to go and play one of the teams that are playing United because it's a chance for these young guys to showcase what they have and possibly get in there. That's a plus-plus for all. you know. So hopefully through all this, being what we have is more than ever, us all coming together, especially in our regions. I don't. I, I would worry so much about nationally, whatever that means, because we're so big. But regionally, we really have to kind of reconnect uh, and get back to those rivalries and, and playing each other and let these kids know exactly what what's at the end of the rainbow and let them just go and play and compete. Boy, as Jim Rome would say on his radio show and his, even his TV show, that's a great take. Let's rack it. Well said indeed, <laughs> Nuno Patero. But I can't let you go without uh, getting clarity on one thing because here's the deal. You talked about the fact that you came over from Portugal you talked about the struggles you had to just make it out of Fall River and get down to Georgia. But, I mean, here you are. You're from Portugal. You're already a great-looking guy. You proved that you could coach in college. You proved that you could do it a pro. You proved that you could elevate youth teams. You proved you could do all of it. And now you're also starting to become a media superstar. What's that all about, Nuno? You got this podcast going. It's pretty cool. I like it. 
Well, thank you, Dean. That means an awful lot. I got to be honest, I, especially earlier today when we had a chance to reconnect and to do it, I was incredibly anxious because, uh, you know, having to interview you and, and Mike Waitala, two two professionals, uh, uh, was was different. But you know, my dad was a little a little bit of a journalist, and so. I'm always intrigued by people's journeys and experiences, especially in the sport and the game that I love so much. And so, for me, I just look at this uh, as a unique opportunity to to do what we did earlier and uh, what we're doing now. And that's a that's a powerful, powerful thing. I mean, the last six uh, to seven weeks, the personal growth for me in terms of dealing with these different technologies, but also the recognition that uh, that there's a personal connection that comes with this thing. That um, that's unique, and that's something that we got to consider as we move forward. Uh, you know, these podcasts, these webinars, the ability to do these Zoom sessions where you're literally looking at someone—it's uh, it's been powerful. So, uh, thank you for that for that compliment. But uh, I want to stick to coaching. <laughs> if I could do this once in a while, then this is pretty cool too. But thank you, Dean. Yeah, well, and I need you to plug it though. If people want to hear some of the podcast that you had and uh maybe you know two or three you know one including my mom might want to listen to the one you did with uh, mike and i where can they find those podcasts slash webinars well we uh put the podcast out every friday and uh you know we're all over social media so you know again Gwinnett uh soccer academy we're on facebook you can find us there same thing on instagram but the best way to get it GSASoccer.com. You can find this, and they're pretty neat. I've been able to interview people like yourself and, and many others that have played at our club and MLS, and guys like Bruce Murray and uh, Dan Gaspar and Francisco Marcos and Jay Miller, and it's been a real kind of for me connection. And hopefully, these young people understand uh, the real history and tradition that our country has in soccer. And the fact that the success that we have now is connected to many people that have been in the trenches like yourselves doing what we do to sell this sport that we love so much. So Trust me, I know I only got the nod because I married a pavao, which means peacock in Portuguese. <laughs> exactly. She, uh, she sends her best. Uh, as you know, I even had to have her write uh, how you doing in Portuguese for me that I showed you on your webinar and appreciate your smile after that. Nuno, good things happen to good people. You are good people. Thanks so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Thank you, Dean. All the best to you and everyone out there. Please stay safe, and we'll see you soon. Thank you, Nuno. And coming up next, Big D, Donna Fischer, great leadership, motivational coach. She's going to be featured on a webinar a week from today, and she'll tell us all about it. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap Big Time Show today. We got unleashed with Alexi Lalas covering all topics. Great to spend time with Nuno Pateta, who's the executive director for GSA, a super successful club just outside of Atlanta. And if you've been following the podcast, you know that I've been cross-promoting quite a bit these amazing webinars. I've got the great honor of hosting by United Soccer Coaches. We got a big time one coming up. A week from today, it's called Coach You, capitalize, Y-O-U, you, you, you need to be a priority 
And the featured guest on that panel, we've got some big-time guests on the panel, is Donna Fisher, known as Big D. She's a leadership coach and team architect, helping college programs all over the country. Great success with Amanda Cromwell for a long time at UCF. You see her at the convention. She is a leader. Big D, Donna Fisher, thanks for being on the program. Oh, fantastic. Uh, love being here with you, Dean. As we take a look at what you do, you're about helping teams get to the next level, helping coaches develop players, helping you reach success, and you're helping so many clubs, and now you're going to be an open book on this webinar. Again, it's titled, Coach, You Need to Be a Priority. What does that mean to you? Coaches have huge influence in players at all levels, right? Youth, all the way up to professional. And we coach out of who we are. So it's vitally important that we're we're a priority in our own lives as far as taking care of ourselves. Are we at 100% performance in order to perform and do our job, right? I mean... Coaches, we organize and track and make sure that, you know, athletes are, they have good nutrition, that they're getting recovery, rest, rehab, all those sorts of things. What are we doing for ourselves? And that expands into, into lots of other directions. But I, I think we lose ourselves in the day-to-day weeds in the trenches of what we do. I remember back when I was coaching uh, at UCF, I'm a couple years in, and I'm thinking, whoa, do they give coaches a sabbatical? <laughs> like, there's no there's no time to breathe. And so this is a crazy time. It's it's an ugly thing out there with this, with this COVID. And at the same time, I wonder if we're utilizing what's been presented to us in this time frame, away from our athletes, so on and so forth. We're here with Donna Fister, owner of Donna Fister Consulting LLC, leadership coach, team architect, the coach's coach, inspiring greatness in game and life. Donna, you're a leader, so you've played a big role in who's going to be on at this panel. Again, it's next Thursday, 2 o'clock Eastern, 1 o'clock Central. It'll be titled, Coach, You Need to Be a Priority. Who did you pick to be on the panel with you, Donna? My first pick was peak performance coach Tom Bates. He's uh, the author of The Future Coach. I follow him on social media, have learned more about him through a coach that I mentored. She's learned a lot from him, and I randomly went on Twitter to connect about this webinar, and he actually had dm'd me a year ago two years ago after one of my convention talks we had never connected before and he said hi i was the person in the back with with the word vulnerable to one of you know as one of your answers he'll bring a, a huge source of expertise with everything that he's written in his book the future coach and then everett Palash from cleveland force uh, soccer club he's director of coaching there i met everett through uh, u.s soccer i was teaching an academy director course and so has spent some time with him this past year. And when you meet somebody that's on your same wavelength, Dean, I mean, it's, it's incredible. And he does everything from the foundation of, like, what his values are, what the club values are. He comes back to that spot and then forecasts forward. He's got to be the best that he can be in order to lead his staff, right? That Then that trickles down into staff leading the players. I think there needs to be a shift in conversations that we're having right now, and we need to go more intrinsic, like inward, as coaches and say, okay, how do I need to possibly reinvent myself? 
right? I mean, that's that's one of the the things that I want to talk about on the the webinar next week. Is what does that mean? What what type of questions can I be asking myself as a coach? You think, okay, maybe I do need to make some changes. You don't even know what blind spot you're looking for. And so I think we'll have some good ideas as to how to navigate that, right? And I want to get into this work-life balance topic that, Dean, when I, when I talk with coaches, this is what comes up all the time. It's how do I balance my family and what I need to be doing there when our line of work is so demanding, right? I get that. I want to win just as bad as the other person. But what does balance mean? And is this really possible for us? I want to dig into that a little bit because, again, the leader's the lid of an organization, of a team. Like, we're the top, and we have to be setting the example, and we, we have to be at our best. I don't want coaches to be leaving themselves behind. Before we let you go, as this is great promotion for next Thursday's webinar, in line with this message of, Coach, you need to be a priority, right now as we deal with this pandemic, your message is about inspiring greatness in game and life. Life is rough right now, so what does that mean to you, especially during these times? Two things. One is I'm concerned that we've been thrown into this phase of just consuming, just consuming information, consuming as much as we can. And don't get me wrong, I'm all about education and consuming, yet I want to see coaches digesting certain things and then implementing it, like what is transforming their lives, right? And so I think in tough times, we need to be thinking about, okay, how do I use adversity to, to transform me? The final thought, I was reading a book called the, the Road to Character, and what really struck me was the author said, what is life calling us to do right now? Like, what, what is life wanting out of us, right? Because normally, the phraseology or the thought is, like, I got I to gotta get everything out of life. Well, what are life circumstances calling on from me? This is a horrendous pandemic. I mean, it's it's not good. But what are our circumstances calling on us to do, calling on us to rethink and maybe redefine things moving forward so that we create the new norms? That's what adversity does for us. A little tease, a little taste from Big D, Donna Fister for the webinar next Thursday called Coach, You Need to Be a Priority. Donna, before I let you go, if folks want to reach you even before the webinar, if they want to seek out your consulting services, plug away. Yeah, uh, you can reach me on uh, Twitter. Uh, you can DM me there or on Instagram. And then also my email address is info at com, And my website has a lot of information about what I do and there's a resource page with some videos and some blogs that I've written, and that's, you know, com. So, yeah, I'd love to hear from people. All right. Great to have you on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap, and great to have you on next week's webinar. That's Thursday, May 14th. It's called Coach, You Need to Be a Priority, and one of the featured panelists, Big D, Donna Fisher. Thanks for being on the podcast, Donna. You're welcome. Thank you. We'll see you next week. We also want to thank Alexi Lalas and Nuno Pateta. I want to thank Michael Knipper, Sean Chevrolet, and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches for each and every one of them. I'm Dean Linky. See you next week, same time, same channel, for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap.